Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Good to see you guys. How's everybody doing? Uh, I was told a story uh, when I was first getting started in uh, ministry. Um, in my first internship, I was at this church and uh, a preacher that had been there, he'd been in ministry a long time, told me a story about another church that he had been a part of. And he said every time that they go and they did communion, you know, it was a, 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 this was years ago and, you know, they had like the pews and everything, you know, it was like the little brick church building or whatever. And they would have people come down and get the communion trays and serve it. But they had something a little extra. When the service would start, they would start walking down the aisle. They would have like, you know, uh, a few people come down and they would like walk. They would be like full suits and ties and all that sort of stuff. And they would walk almost like military style, come down to the front. And they'd come to this table, the communion table. And they had this, this uh, crisp white sheet that was draped over. It probably had like, you know, lace around the edges. I don't know exactly. But it was draped over the table. And they would come down. And there would be a couple of people who would get on either side and they would like fold this thing up. And it was almost like a flag folding thing. And they would come together and, you know, it was very, very like symbolic and all this sort of stuff. And they, somebody started asking, it was like, why do we do that? And they did it every Sunday. And so they asked around, they asked somebody, they said, well, I don't know. And they said, well, ask them. They might know. They've been here a long time. And they asked them, no, I don't know. They got to the oldest person in the congregation. This lady, they said, was around 90-some years old. And uh, she said, I know exactly why we do it. They're like, okay, tell us. We've been wanting to know. They said, she said, when we first started as a church, there was no such thing as air conditioning. And so we had to have the windows open in the summer. So we put a white sheet on the table to keep flies out of the communion. And they thought it was some spiritual thing, right? And here's the thing. A lot of times we do things in our lives, but especially in our life with our relationship with God, and we think, oh, we want to tie this super spiritual meaning to it when really it's just a tradition or really it's just our opinion. But the problem is, is that we put the same emphasis on sometimes our traditions and our opinions on God's word. And that is a dangerous thing. Am I right? We want to make sure we follow God's Word and God's Word alone. And so I want to think about this morning uh, a, a story that we see from the ministry of Jesus. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And the scripture will be on the screen, of course, and uh, you can follow along in your Bible or open up your Bible app. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. And it says this, One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by the ancient, uh, ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, that's a lot of uh, explanation for the Gospel of Mark. A lot of times we've seen so far going through that it's real quick, like real quick explanations. But he goes into this point because it's very important. 
The Pharisees especially, and anybody who, who followed the, the extra Jewish laws that are added, these weren't God's laws, they added more to them. They would make this big deal about putting a little bit of water over their hands. It wasn't anything about cleanliness. They didn't understand the level of germs at that point, but they wanted to do this big show. Well, they noticed that Jesus and his disciples weren't doing that. And so they were like, hold up, hold up. You didn't go through this big showy ritual of putting some water on your hands before you ate. And there's a problem with that, they said. It says in verse 5, So the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? At least they were kind enough to say that it was the tradition. But to them, tradition was the same thing as, as what God said. Now that's a big issue. All right, so they said, Why don't you follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing their hand-washing ceremony. Now for us, I know, get, get your 2022 mind, your... Uh, whatever you want to, I got ready to say post-pandemic, but I don't know if we can say that yet, but you know, your pandemic mindset of, you know, you spray everything down with Clorox and a fire hose, you know, anybody get, get that extreme with it? You know, sometimes we do. And so, you know, before, don't y'all lie, y'all were letting your kids eat stuff off the ground. Y'all did it. Maybe not your first kid, but your second kid, you're like, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, you can eat it. I, I'll tell you a story. Um, when I was uh, in my, one of my earlier ministries, before I had a big family, and I thought people with big families are weird. Now I know they're weird. But when I, there was this family that had five or six kids. And we, uh, this, they said when she had her first kid, the mom was like super strict about everything. If the pacifier fell down on the ground and, you know, like the business end was sticking up, but just the, the handle part fell on the ground, she would take it and she would literally boil it. You know, she would boil it before she ever gave it back to the kid. Not directly after, you know, but she boiled it first, cleaned it up. You know, anything like that. If anything fell on the ground, it was either th thrown in the trash or thoroughly sterilized. And they said by the time she had her fifth kid, they were standing outside church talking one day, and she was talking with the mom, and she said, um, isn't that your kid over there eating a pine cone? And she was like, yeah. She, like, she didn't care. By the fifth one, she was like, hey, it is what it is. You know, fiber, that's what pine cones are. And so if, if you can, got more than one kid, you can relate for sure. But here's the thing. It wasn't like, we have to get in our mindset. This isn't 2020 it, or 2022. It isn't our modern culture and knowing about germs and knowing about, you know, microbes and all those sorts of things. This was purely a ceremony that they did not understand the meaning behind. And they carried out further and further and further. And they were saying, you don't love God if you don't just put a little water on your hands. So to get, in, get out of your minds, that knowing what we know, think about them. Jesus replied, verse 6, Jesus was quite, quite the politically correct guy. He says in verse 6, you hypocrites. I mean, he just comes out the gate with a bang. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He said, you talk a good game, but you don't really have love for me in your heart, is what God is saying. It goes on. It says, their, uh, their worship is a farce. It's a fake. It's a fraud. Now, Jesus, that isn't very kind and loving. But Jesus was tired of people who claimed to love him, but were instead keeping people farther away from God. And he was angry about it. He said, it's a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Can it get any clearer than that? He did not like what they were doing. Verse 8, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Do, does he need to make it any clearer? But he does. 
He goes on and he elaborates more in verse 9. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. You will go an extra mile to avoid God's law, but to make sure you keep your own stuff, your own favorite ideas. Now, that's not just an old, ancient idea. Maybe we don't dress like the Pharisees. We don't have what they call the phylacteries. We don't have these little boxes where they would copy little versions of the Scripture and put it on their foreheads, you know, or put it around their wrist, on their hand. You know, maybe we don't wear the long, flowing robes, but we can quickly get our own ideas and our own traditions and our own opinions and put them on the level with God's Word. But let's keep on. Verse 10, he gets very specific with the Pharisees here. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. Man, life would be a lot different these days, wouldn't it? It's, man, I, I'd been smoked like about age five if that was what happened nowadays, because I could be disrespectful. Thankfully, my kids, you know, are like my wife. They don't get too disrespectful sometimes. They never disobey, never do anything like that. But... He said, must be put to death. Verse 11, but you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. Now, what this is, this was a, uh, a ritual called Corbin. It was a gift dedicated to God. And so instead of helping their parents who might be old and not able to earn money anymore, they would say, Mom and Dad, I would love to help you. But I've got this gift set aside as money that's going to go for God. But was the money really going for God? Most of the time it was not. They were just finding a way to snake their parents. Isn't that, a, isn't that shameful? You know, but believe it or not, those kind of things happen today, you know, and, you know, we sometimes won't help other people because we say, well, I've got to save that money for something else, but really we just don't want to give, you know, we don't want to help people. We don't want to be kind and generous. And he said, that is wrong. And he makes it clear one more time in verse 13. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Jesus laid the smack down. He said, if you think that I don't see what you're doing, if you think that God doesn't see what you're doing, it's time to wake up. He said, don't sit there and act all high and mighty and act like you don't put your tradition above my commands. I think it's pretty fair to say, don't you guys agree, that Jesus had some pretty strong feelings about this kind of thing. You know, he spoke very clearly about putting other ideas and traditions above him. Now, don't get me wrong. Traditions can be okay. Traditions can be okay. Um, I am a, a Carolina Panthers football fan. I was born and raised in North Carolina. I went and lived as a missionary to the state of Virginia for about five years. But other than that, I've lived in North Carolina. The vile heathens needed Jesus, and so I went and tried to do my best for five years. Um, sorry. Jokey, jokey. Sorry. Um, but I grew up a Carolina Panthers fan. Before there were the Panthers, I was a Washington, whatever they are. I forgot what they are. Commanders, there you go. Before the, red, the, the uh, Panthers existed, I was a Washington Commanders fan. But when the Panthers came to our state, I was like, boom, cutting ties, becoming a Panthers fan. And I'm telling you, the only tradition that we have as Panthers is we stink. That's, that's pretty much it. 
You know, I, I'm envious of like people who, I, I hate to say this, but I got to admit it. Um, I am envious of people who are like Pittsburgh Steelers fans, you know, who like, yeah, I, I hate to say it, but it's true. I mean, you guys got a tradition. It's really cool. Or like Cowboys fans, the tradition of living in the 90s. You know, that's, that's a big tradition. At least it's a tradition. We haven't been good in 35 years, but we act like we're really good. You know, I mean, it's, it's a tradition at least. Our tradition as the Panthers is just we're not good. Traditions aren't always bad is my point. Sometimes they just bring a little bit of fun and joy to life or it just helps us, you know. Habits are sort of traditions. But I'll say it again. When you place a tradition on par with what God's Word says in your relationship with God, that's when it becomes, get this, spiritually deadly. You might say, oh, hold up, Bobby, you're being a little bit dramatic. You know, that's a little bit, carry, you're carrying a little bit over the edge. But I think that's what Jesus was saying, don't you? He was hammering these people, these religious leaders, because their traditions were keeping people away from God. They were spiritually deadly. And so the same goes for you and I and our opinions and our traditions if we place them above or equal to God's Word. So make sure what you're doing is following God's Word. So here's a question. When it comes to the church, who's the boss? You or God? God should be the boss, the leader of the church. But many times when it comes to the church, we think that we are the boss. Now, most of us wouldn't be so bold to say that out loud, would we? You know, we wouldn't be like, I'm the boss. You know, we wouldn't do that. Uh, I, don't, I, I love giving these old references that, like, nobody remembers. But anybody remember the show called The Jeffersons? You know, uh, George Jefferson, I, I love his walk. He would walk around like this and I feel like that's the way we are spiritually sometimes we walk around like yeah I'm the thing I'm the stuff I've got all the answers I know what it is we wouldn't say it out loud but in our minds in our hearts that's sort of the way we act with God it's like God I love you but I'm not too happy about this particular passage of scripture God I love you but I just can't do that I, I, I can't give of my money because I just work too hard for it God I, I love you but I can't go and tell people that you love them so much you died for them because it's just a little bit out of my comfort zone. I'm quiet. I don't really like talking to people. He didn't give us options on that. And so the question is, who's the boss of the church? Is it God or is it us? Christendom as a whole, and that's just a phrase if you're not familiar with that. That's sort of like a, a churchy culture word for the whole idea of the church worldwide. It's full of man-made teaching that we place above God's word. And that stuff is dangerous. It's dangerous. This is a difficult subject, but I have to be honest and approach it. There's a, a, a prayer that people have prayed in some form or another for many years called the sinner's prayer. And a lot of people pray what they call the sinner's prayer, and thousands, if not millions of people have based their relationship with God on something that honestly never once you find in Scripture. You don't find a prayer similar to it. You don't find the idea or the name of sinner's prayer. But so many people have based their relationship with God on it. And I had a video that um, I was going to show you of a guy by the name of David Platt. 
David Platt is a Southern Baptist uh, preacher, and uh, many years ago, about 10 years ago, he said at a conference called the Verve Conference, it was mostly a, uh, a church leaders conference, he said something that was extremely controversial, but I believe is right in line with scripture. And of course, we had audio issues today, so we got the quote up, and I'm going to read it. I wish you could see David Platt. If you ever want to YouTube it, look it up. Um, the passion in his eyes, the, the fear and the trembling, I guess, because it was breaking his heart to have to say this difficult truth. But here's what he says. This part of it is the quote there. Platt addressed attendees, most of whom were pastors, with these words. Are we calling people to biblical faith in a day of rampant, easy believism? We must be very clear lest we lead people down a damning path of spiritual deception. Keep going. I'm convinced that many people in our churches are simply missing the life of Christ and a lot of it has to do with what we've sold them as the gospel. I.e. pray this prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, invite Christ into your life, Platt said. Should it not concern us that there is no such superstitious prayer in the New Testament? Should it not concern us that the Bible never uses the phrase accept Jesus into your heart or invite Christ into your life? It's not the gospel we see being preached. It's modern evangelism built on sinking sand and it runs the risk of disillusioning millions of souls. Don't hate me. I'm not the bad guy here. I'm sharing the message, but I, I agree with it. Because it's so vitally important that when we want to have a relationship with God, that we listen to what God says. How scary is it that we would say, this is how you follow Jesus, but you can't find that way in Scripture? If we're going to be true and faithful to God's Word and not put our traditions and our opinions above or equal to God's Word, then we need to make sure on foundational things about how we come to Jesus that we find biblical ways and this might be groundbreaking, it might be earth-shattering, it might be make you really angry at me. But I encourage you, if it does, or if you're questioning, if you're wondering, to stop and listen and look and search the Scripture to see if that's not true. That those phrases even, though they are not horrible phrases, aren't even found in Scripture. Let's do Bible things in Bible ways and follow God in His ways. We need to follow His truth. And if we want a relationship with Him, do it the way that He says to. There are more people than I'd like to count that have shared with our church family at different times and have shared with me. And I, I don't say this to, to sound arrogant, but... It's been our goal to try to be a very biblical church. That's our goal. We just want to follow God's word and God's word alone. And many people over the course of our almost five years of existence have a church have said at different times something to the effect of, this is one of the most biblical churches I've ever been a part of. They've said it to me. They've said it to other people. They've said, you know, the, you know, the messages that are preached, no matter who's preaching it, are, are biblical. We follow scripture. You know, we don't just say, well, this is my opinion every now and then we do, but we try to make it clear if it is. But we say, this is what scripture says. This is what God says. And they've said that kind of thing. I even, I, I say this to illustrate, and it's hard for me to, to say anything that looks like I'm pointing a light at myself, but I say this to illustrate. I, I've had many people come up and say, Here's the thing, when you speak, it's almost, it's like the Holy Spirit speaking through you. 
And I said, there's a reason for that. Because I'm just reading God's word most of the time. It's just God's word. I want to share God's word and God's truth. And, and the reason I'm telling you all this, is like I said, it's not to build me up or to make me look good or make our church look good. It's this purpose. Here's why. Everybody, everybody still with me? Even if you're mad at me, stay with me. Some of those same people, many of those same people, have then at some point when a certain teaching that they really loved was pointed out maybe outside of Scripture, and they've gotten angry and upset. And sadly, some of them have left. And I've even asked some people that I had the relationship with to ask this. I'm like, don't you remember some of the things that you said about how biblical our church family is? Don't you think we've earned the right to at least give and be heard and, and sit down and discuss this and study Scripture together? But the problem is, is that many people like the Bible until it contradicts what they believe. And we cannot be so bold and so arrogant to say that we have the, the corner on truth and we know exactly what God says. And that's my point is that I'm not even saying that we get it perfect, but let's look at Scripture. Let's look. This is not getting a lot of amens because it ain't popular. But I don't want to follow anybody else's word, including my own, except God's word. I say it very regularly. Check what I say with Scripture. Anybody who stands up and teaches you something, make sure you check what they say with Scripture, with God's Word, even myself. Because we are, we are imperfect people. We are fallible. We, are, we can make mistakes. We need to study God's Word and God's Word alone. I had a discussion a couple of years ago with a, a couple, and they were wanting to talk about baptism and we looked at the scripture and we talked about what baptism was the bible talks about how you know it's for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the holy spirit and the bible talks about you know that it's being buried with christ and raised to walk in a new life and that when you're baptized into christ that jesus cuts away your old sinful self in colossians 2 and raises you by your faith into a new life and we talked about all these things and they said but i, I just don't agree with the emphasis that you're putting on baptism and I said God's putting the emphasis on baptism and we kept, we kept discussing and we were just sort of at a standstill and I said well here's what the scripture says and they said yeah but I believe this and I was taught this and I'm like okay but what does the scripture say and we finally got this point I said I don't like hypotheticals this is what I said to them and I'll say to you I don't like hypotheticals but could we do just a hypothetical for a, situ for a second I said imagine that you've never, uh, you've never had a Bible and you're on this deserted island, you don't have any other people around and you find a Bible. Now take that idea and then take what you know of the Bible. Now this is, this is matrix stuff I'm trying to get you to think through here and I try to get them to think through. But take what you know of the Bible and what you know the Bible says about baptism, this topic that we're talking about. And then imagine if you had a Bible, you never had it before, nobody's ever told you anything about the Bible, and you just read it, do you think you'd come away with the idea that baptism is a part of our salvation, our getting into Christ? He paused for a second, and he said, yeah, I think I would. I said, all right, let's, let's, let's be immersed, let's be baptized. And he paused for another second, and he said, no, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. And that's the most heartbreaking thing I think I've ever heard. 
He said, knowing what I know about the Scripture, not what anybody else has ever told me, but what I know about the Scripture, what the Bible teaches about baptism, I would say that it's a part of my salvation, and I need to be baptized into Christ and be forgiven of my sins, but I'm not willing to do it because I was told other things by other people. That is a terrifying thing. That is a heartbreaking thing. And I want to follow God's word and his truth. And so that's a dangerous place to be in. So the question is, how do we avoid this? How do we avoid this idea? It's a common trap to fall in of saying, I'm going to put my opinions, my traditions over God's word. The first thing is this, recognize absolute truth. Recognize absolute truth. And I know that's not a popular idea nowadays, the idea that there are some things that are absolutely true no matter what, that truth is not relative. You know, there are some things that are relative, but that there are absolute truths. And the Bible, I believe, is one of those things. Here, here's an important thing to think about. There are some things that are left to opinion in Scripture. I, I don't argue that. There are some things, but there are many things that are not. And I do believe that salvation is one of those things that we're not left to our opinions. It's an area where we want to be in Christ, and it's important for us to be in Christ. And so let's not gamble with our very souls. Let's say, I want to do what God's Word says, what He says, and He alone, not what anybody else says. Just for an instance, just think through this with me for a quick second. The idea that people would say there is no such thing as absolute truth, they have just done what? They made an absolute statement, didn't they? So by the very thing of what they said, they just nullified what they said. You know? There are absolutes. There are things that are absolutely right and wrong. Just a simple thing to think about when you want to think about are there absolutes is this. Some people might say, well, there are no absolutes, but when somebody is breaking in your house at 3 in the morning and your family's in bed and they're coming in your window, you start to think there's a right and wrong, don't you? No matter what you thought beforehand. There are some things that are right and there are some things that are wrong. There are some things that are true and there are some things that are lie. Recognize that there is absolute truth. 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 19 says this. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. It says we've got the word. Pay attention to it. It's shining light in dark places. Verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, many times I've heard people say, uh, say well, you're talking about a biblical topic. They'll say, well, that's just your interpretation. And sometimes, I'm not saying there's not, sometimes there are situations where we can interpret things a little differently. There are some opinion things, but as I said, I don't believe salvation should be one of them. Is that something we want to be risky with? No. He says that there's one interpretation that God had in mind. It was given through the Holy Spirit as the Scripture was being written. It's not open for interpretation on some things. And we need to get down into God's Word and see what He says, what He meant, what He wants us to know. That's so important. Jesus said of God's Word, John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. There are things that are true. So we establish that fact that there are some things that are true and we want to know the truth. Is that true? <laughs> Amen. The next thing is this. Determine to search God's word and follow it. 
This is so key. Determine to search God's word and follow it. Don't simply take people's word for it. I just spent a few minutes saying that, but I got to say it again. Don't simply just take anybody's word for it. Don't, it doesn't matter what, how many letters they have after their name. It doesn't matter how many Instagram followers they've got. It doesn't matter how expensive their suits are. Follow God's word and dig into it. Dig into it. I'm going to hide behind this. There's not much protection, but I'm going to say this next part. Even your grandma. Even if your grandma tells you something that you can't find in God's word, you need to side with God's word over grandma. And I know so many people who won't believe biblical truth because, well, that's not what my grandma believed. That's not what my mom, dad, my uncles, whoever, that's not what they taught. We've got to follow God's truth over everything else. Ask yourself, what does the Bible say? And can I tell you another thing? I'm just making tons of friends <laughs> today. If you've got a study Bible, that's great. But just know this, the study notes are not the Bible. If the study notes disagree with what the Bible says, or it has to do some sort of like linguistic gymnastics <laughs> to explain away what the scripture just said, you need to pay no attention to the study notes. Because the study notes were written by people. And we need to study God's word. There's so many tools. We don't have any excuses in 2022 to not be able to study God's word. It used to, you had to go to a seminary and, and do all of this training. And I'm not, that's still a great thing. I went to Bible college and had Bible training. But there's so many tools that any of us can get a, at least a good idea about what is being taught. Uh, Blue Letter Bible is an app and a website that I, is excellent. And it's really easy to, to look at the Greek and the Hebrew and all sorts of stuff. Honestly, when you're just trying to find Bible verses, Google search is amazing. Usually like the second option that comes up, at least on when I search, I don't know if it's just my algorithm works for me, but there's this thing called Open Bible, and it just gives you a list of scriptures that have anything to do with that particular topic. And so you can find tons of scripture. Um, then things like Bible Gateway is, is another good Bible tool. The search engine on that's not great, and so that's why I don't search for things in there a lot. But there's so many tools. Here's another thing. You guys got to listen quicker. Discuss with other believers. Recognize there's truth. Trust God's word and follow it. Determine to search God's word and follow it and discuss with other believers. You know how cults get started? People have ideas and never have anybody push back on them. You know, that's how a lot of cults get. That's how you end up drinking Kool-Aid, wearing a Snuggie, and with some purple Nikes on. I I'm just saying, avoid that at all costs. Find other people that will talk with you, not argue with you. Don't argue. Don't say, well, I got my scriptures and I got my scriptures. Let's say, let's look at the Bible together and let's see what God's word says and do it with brothers and sisters in Christ. Study with other people. And I'll be honest, sometimes it's difficult. The Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. And that's painful because when you put iron against iron, the friction will tear off and rip off pieces. But guess what it does? It makes you sharper, right? And so we've got to remind ourselves of that. Here's another thing, and this is the last thing. Trust God's heart. Trust God's heart. Often I believe we choose to reject God's truth over man-made ideas because we feel like God is trying to rob our joy and our happiness. I, I really do believe that that's a, a lot of the reason why people do that, why we all do that. 
Uh, think, for example, this, Old Testament food laws. If you've ever gone and kind of gotten in the weeds in some of the Old Testament uh, old Hebrew writings about the food laws, you know, honestly, as a guy from North Carolina, when I was, you know, reading through that, I'm like, come on, God, really? No pork barbecue? Are, are you serious about this? You know, if I'd have been a Jew back then, I, like all this goodness, you know, that you're missing out on. But here's the thing. They didn't understand at their time, we understand now, but a lot of the food laws were actually just simply protections for God's people because there wasn't adequate food storage and, and cooking procedures were subpar and they didn't have the ways to, to make sure that they didn't get diseases out of certain types of food. And so it seems silly and it seems weird to have those things, but God was protecting them and they didn't understand it. But now we understand why those, those laws were there. God was protecting the Israelites. And to put in a, a, a you know, 21st century idea with sex. Sex, a lot of people push back against what the Bible teaches about sex and relationships. And they feel that God's rules are keeping them from living a happy life or, or doing what they want. And, but you look at things like 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and it reminds us that something happens spiritually when two people come together in a sexual relationship and that there's a connection that shouldn't be broken or shouldn't be taken lightly. God is protecting us. That's his goal. That's his intention. He loves us. He, he created sex. But he wants us to do it in the right way so our hearts are protected. And so when you question whether you want to follow God or your ideas, trust God's love for you trust God's love for you when you wonder what his intention is know that his intentions are good Matthew 7 verse 11 Jesus said if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father and who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him he's saying look you're imperfect parents and you try to do the best for your kids imagine what your good perfect father is trying to do for you he wants the best for you so trust him as we wrap this thing up this morning I want you to ask yourself what areas of my life do I have a hard time trusting God and his word on what areas of my life do I need to dig deeper into God's truth and look and see who's the boss in my life who do I need to, what do I need to look at and search down deeper and search and claw and dig through into the truth of God's word? Because here's what we have to understand. God is God. Let him be God. It's time for him to be the Lord, not just of our life, but of the church as a whole. And to search the truth in love, looking for what God has to do. Because he loves us so much that he gave his word, his truth, so that we could follow him and we could be close to him. And we can look more like him. And the world needs a church that looks more like God. So let's follow his truth. Is he the Lord of the church? Or are we? Ask yourself, what areas of my life do I need to search more in Scripture to make sure that my heart lines up with the heart of God? Let's stand the scene. If you've got something on your heart, we'd love to share it with you. You can fill out a connect card. You can see me by the side. But who's the boss of the church? Who's the boss of the Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com 
or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.